the Department of Basic Education, with its partners, has been conducting research to better understand and improve reading outcomes in South Africa. This 10-year study is called the Early Grade Reading Study, short for EGRS. The department recently published its second report on early grade reading, available on the episode notes. Our host and guests unpack how much it really costs to build a reading nation and how government can make use of research to make informed decisions to influence policy. This episode is proudly brought to you by the Department of Basic Education in South Africa. Welcome to the Early Grade Reading Research Study Podcast. My name is Mary Metcalf and I am your host for today. And I will have the pleasure of discussing the Early Grade Reading Research Study with three colleagues from the Department of Basic Education in South Africa. Carol Nugadaliwe is the Chief Director for Strategic Planning. Stephen Taylor is Head of Research in the Strategic Planning Unit. And Mpumi Mohlwana is the lead researcher in this project. So I'm looking forward to understanding more about the early grade reading study and why it's important. I'd like to start with Stephen Taylor. Stephen, can you just explain to us what the early grade reading study is? The early grade reading study is a series of research projects now that have been run by us in the Department of Basic Education with a number of other partners and collaborators. Over the last 10 years or so, um, these studies set out to find out how can we improve the teaching and learning of reading in South African schools. We've realized that we do have a challenge in this area as a country. Uh, Most of our children reach grade four or five without having learned to read with acceptable levels of comprehension. And so we wanted to find out how can we help the situation. And Uh, Most children also have a situation where they get to grade four and they have to transition the language that they learn in. For most South African children, they learn to read in a home language that is not English. They also start to learn English in grades one to three. But when they get to grade four, the language of learning and teaching for many children becomes English. And so this left us with three possible ways to try to improve the learning of reading. The first was a catch-up program at the grade four level to see um, can we find out how to catch children up in English at the grade four level. The second was to intervene to improve their home language reading learning in grades one to three. And the third way would be to strengthen their learning to read in English from grades one to three. And through the early grade reading study, we've done uh, projects that have evaluated ways to intervene in all three of those ways. Uh, And we've got a a lot of evidence together about what works, what doesn't work, really importantly. Uh, And not only have we done these studies, but we have started to do follow-up activities to try to improve things based on this evidence, putting in place all the different building blocks to inform what we do on a larger scale. So basically, it's a series of research projects all aimed at informing what we do as government on a larger scale. Thank you. Pumi, as the lead researcher, I'm really interested to find out what it is that you have learned across the series. The learning must have been cumulative as well, I'm sure. It really has been. Um, So let me start with what worked and speaking at the impact level. 
These studies have been designed to be randomized controlled trials, and the intention of that was to make sure that we are comparing the value add that these interventions bring over and above normal schooling because children learn something in school. So what could we be doing in addition to the normal gains they would have in their normal schooling career? And from that, we uh, measured children, uh, we followed the same children over time, and we found that the coaching intervention, which consisted of teacher training, provision of lesson plans with integrated readers and other um, learning and support materials, as well as having an on-site, in-person coach visiting teachers in their classroom, had the largest gains. So children who were being um, part of the coaching intervention were 40% of a year of learning ahead of children that did not receive the coaching intervention or what is we think about as control group schools or business as usual. So that that's the biggest thing. We found that coaching added this 40% of a year of learning and we found this evidence um, at the end of grade two, at the end of grade four, and most recently and most interestingly, at the end of grade seven. So these gains have been sustained. So at the impact level, that's what we learned. At the teacher level, we found that these studies are enabling teachers to extend their repertoires. So while the curriculum speaks about all these skills and teaching strategies that teachers should have, in reality, implementing those is hard. And so through the early grade reading um, study, firstly, I think through lesson plans, but secondly, through having this mentor who's an expert in literacy and home language specifically. Teachers were able to do more of the things that the curriculum says. And then finally, thinking about learners, we found that learners were writing more than is typical, and we found them doing individualized practices more. So with our large class sizes, it's often not possible um, for children to be reading at an individual level. In these studies, the biggest thing we found is a change in that um, as well. That's really interesting. I want to understand a little bit more in terms of what changed in the teacher's behavior, because when you say value add, I'm understanding that your control group got the same teaching that characterizes possibly what teachers do in South Africa, but the value add changed teachers' behavior, which then had an impact on learning. Just tell us what changed. Sure. So we think the change process is slow, slower than a lot of us would like to think. And that's also like a lesson for us in general, like how slowly education actually changes. And if we think about it at a teacher level, we often, our typical practice is you go to training that's an afternoon, two hours or something, and then we expect it to change your whole practice for the whole year on your own after being trained for two hours. It, it seems, I mean, I, I know I would need more support than that. And I think that's what changed. It's that teachers got the basic training, so they've wrapped their heads around what the program is supposed to be, what the lesson plans are supposed to be. But lesson plans then gave them a daily strategy for what to do when you get to your class after this training. Lesson plans are quite detailed. Use this specific resource, reader. Uh, choose eight children, for example, for group-guided reading, and then this is how you support them. But then in addition to that, they then got someone who is in their real classroom, a classroom of 40 or 60 children in some cases, who then not only reminds you of that training, but helps you enact it. And so these coaches would demonstrate lessons. They would give 
positive feedback first, as well as, hey, the next time I see you, could you have worked on X or Y? So I think it's that detailed, sustained support in their classroom, in their own context that helped uh, with changing the teacher understanding and the knowledge, I guess, and practice in the longer Mm -hmm. term. So it's both the lesson plans and the coaching. Absolutely. I want to ask Stephen, before I come to Carol just now, internationally, there is some teacher pushback on the use of scripted lesson plans. Firstly, is that your conception of how the lesson plan should work? And if you have any insight into how uh, representative organizations of teachers are responding to lesson plans? Yeah, I think some of the concern amongst uh, teachers and educationists about lesson plans is that it might end up narrowing teacher practices and in a way de-skilling teachers in that they end up doing a narrow set of activities uh, rather than exercising their own professional autonomy um, and doing what is best for the class in front of them. But what we found is that uh, that depends on the, the existing context. And in South African classrooms, we actually have a rather narrow set of classroom practices as things currently stand. And so our experience was that exposing teachers to a a new set of lesson plans aligned to the curriculum actually expanded their repertoire of methods that they ended up using. We saw certain activities which are effective instructional methods which are prescribed in the curriculum happening in classrooms where we'd intervened and where coaching had been happening. And those same activities were just not happening at all in the control group classrooms. So in our experience, uh, this served to expose teachers to new routines, new methods. It helped them to enact some of the harder to teach methods and in that way uh, expanded their repertoire and led to better classroom practice and ultimately better learning, which is where the proof uh, of it all lies. Carol, I want to ask you, why is this important in South Africa? The way that Mpumi and Stephen have spoken, I get a sense of excitement that it can be a game changer. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it was when we first started a few years ago now, it was a game changer. And I think now post-COVID, as we're working through the, after the worst, if you like, of the COVID pandemic, we're also looking at opportunities for clawing back those loss, the loss of learning time, the loss of learning outcomes, the loss of... Uh, learning at the level of the classroom. It also comes back to education, education as development, both for the children, uh, their families, communities, but also the country. And that's extremely important. So I think reading, uh, literacy, language development, these are all intricately involved in development of the country. And I think that's why this is really important. It gives us an opportunity to develop Mm. all of those things, uh, but not for their own sake, to develop the country as well. Mm. Thank you. I'm interested in, would you say that in South Africa, the achievements in reading are where the country would like them to be? And I'm also interested in the relevance of the learning that this team has accumulated to the continent. Let's start with the question of why is it important in South Africa? I think the, the most important thing about this study and about reading in general is that it is not just about 
what happens within classrooms. It's about agency. It's about social uh, mobility. It's about all of those things. And so we can't avoid getting involved in it. I mean, the president has declared he's not, uh, it's, it's not just this president, but previous presidents have always had a focus on what's happening within classrooms, on learning, on reading. Um, so that's extremely important. Effective teaching and learning is extremely important. Um, and this new concept of the endowment and the possible poverty that can arise because of the lack of the ability to read, the ability to learn is extremely critical. So when we go back to education as development, we need to think about that. The second question I'm interested in mm -hmm. is, how are we doing in Africa? And can this help us as a continent? I think it can help us. Can I speak about the country first? Um, because I think it's extremely important to come back to the, the, the first question you asked. We, we are not doing particularly well in reading. We have been improving over the years, and especially right through to pre-COVID times. We had been improving really not to the levels that we would like, but certainly we have been improving in terms of our literacy rates. But we, we need to do a lot more in terms of language development in African languages, in home language, and in what's being taught within schools. That's the first thing as a country, but also as a region and as a continent. Mm, very good. Have there been studies elsewhere in Africa that are similar to what you have explored in Pumi? Um, yes, there have been. I, I think the work that's been done in Kenya for us was instructive. Um, it preceded our work, um, and that I think was an important learning for us, that it's worked on the continent, right? So often you hear about all these amazing things that are in context so different, so differently resourced, completely different in every possible way that it really becomes hard to translate those things into what could work in our, in our country, in our classroom. So the work in Kenya, um, I think called Tusomi, had been very, very important for us. And we've learned a lot from the longitudinal approach they've had, assessing the same children over time from the actual structure of the intervention. So lesson plans that impact both home language and English. And I think even how they've been able to use that data at a national level. So they've gone ahead of us in terms of scaling to the whole country, which is something I think we still aspire um, to learn from in terms of how exactly they did it. How do you go from a research study to scaling in the whole country? Um, because it has... Um, significant implications for curriculum development, for resource development, for teacher development. It's not just that we found that this works and therefore it should be in all schools. So lots of lessons there from Kenya. I'm really looking forward to asking you lots of questions about scale. Carol, you would like to add to that and then I'm going to come to Stephen and ask him if there were any findings that surprised you. But Carol, to add on to. I think extremely important for what my colleagues have spoken about is that it's been within the context of the curriculum. It's nothing new. It is arming, equipping, you would say. And I, I actually use the word arming because I think that this is actually a war against illiteracy and poor learning outcomes. It's arming the teachers and arming the people who support schools to be able to actually get children to learn, to read. That's extremely important within the context of the curriculum. Nothing changed in terms of the expectations of the curriculum. Of course, there's tweaking in, in relation to the curriculum, pacing, etc. 
But at the end of the day, we were using the national curriculum, but finding better ways of getting the learning outcomes we want out of the curriculum and arming teachers to be able to do that. Anything that was surprising in your findings? There definitely have been a few surprises. Uh, I think the biggest surprise has been things that didn't work. When we started this 10 years ago, I think we were a lot more optimistic about programs that would work if they were well-designed. Uh, we, we started with a catch-up program at the grade four level, and it was designed to help children catch up in English, and it had basically zero effect. And so that showed us what we learned from that was we needed to go earlier to grades one to three, and we needed to intervene for longer. Uh, that intervention was just one term. At the time, it seemed reasonable to expect a one-term catch-up program to make a difference. But now we've realized uh, it takes a lot more. Uh, it takes intervening for three years throughout the foundation phase, um, and in particular, focusing on home language learning to read. Another surprising finding was that a parent involvement intervention didn't have an, any effect. Uh, again, we would have hoped that this would be a cost-effective way. If we get parents more involved at home, learning will improve. What we found there was that it's very hard to shift parent involvement. It's not that parent involvement doesn't matter. We know from lots of other research that more involved parents do make a difference. But what was difficult was as government to run an intervention that shifted parent involvement in ways that actually led to learning in, in reading. And so what we really has come out as more successful is when we've intervened in the classroom, in the teaching of home language literacy and reading in grades one, two, three. That's really where we saw the change happen. Um, we also saw the biggest losses incurred there when schooling was disrupted as, as a result of the pandemic. So I think we've learned that when you disrupt the classroom teaching of reading in grades one to three, you see big losses in reading amongst children. But on the contrary, when we intervene in that space, that's where we've seen the biggest positive impact. So for us, I think putting all that together, the big challenge going forward is how do we intervene in grades one to three teaching of home language reading? That's what we've learned to merge. We didn't expect that up front, but that seems to be the place where we have to intervene if we want to get reading right in our country. So in the research that you've done, it's been fairly small-scale studies relative to the scale of South Africa. Now, Carol has used strong language, which I like and which I think must motivate us going forward, that we need to arm the country to deal with illiteracy because it undermines development. So you had a particular design for your research study. If you're going to be able to take this learning into the education system, you're going to have to design for implementation. So there's a lot we need to talk about here. The first question is, would you design your implementation strategies differently to what you've done in your randomized controlled trials? And then we need to look at questions of scale and cost and how you need to be able to look at design in a way that is implementable. So I'm just wondering who'd like to go first on that one. Carol. I think that's extremely important that we do look at that. We should recognize the evidence that's coming out of this. We should recognize how important change is, change at the classroom level, change in practice, change in behavior. Um, and recognize that that has costs. I mean, even in well-resourced uh, contexts, school improvement change takes eight to 10 years to bed down, to consolidate. And that's extremely important. However, we should also think about the costs of not doing anything, of education as usual, of development as usual, of just doing the same. 
thing that we've been doing. And I think that none of us, no matter where we are in the spectrum, would, would say that that's, that's acceptable. And I think the most important thing to do is to work out what's the opportunity cost. What If we didn't do anything, what would the cost be to those children in quintile one to three schools at the earliest grades of doing nothing? We found a great amount of, there's a lot of a good reception of the, the study uh, 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 material, good reception in terms of the coaching and the mentoring that happened, um, and a, 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 a willingness, if you like, to extend uh, themselves by the teachers in the provinces that we're working with. And that's incredibly important in terms of implementation. And I think that those are the people to whom we would address implementation uh, questions. So my colleagues may, may reflect on those. Sure. So um, a good question about designing for scale. Um, we often have that dilemma, right? So figuring out what works, having it intense enough that it actually changes things, but affordable enough that it's scalable. And finding what Stephen has called the sweet spot between those two things is hard. But I think what um, working over a long period of time has given us is it's given us an opportunity to do multiple studies, multiple iterations uh, that help us think about the design aspects. So I think we've we've tried an, a basic intervention package, which we're convinced works. And I think that's the part that's easiest to scale. So in terms of designing for scale, we wouldn't revise that aspect. It does mean there were things that happened so separating the study aspect to what we think about as scaffolding um, for implementation at scale. So one component, for example, we worked in Setswana specifically, so one home language, and we worked in English as a first additional language. There are all these other nine languages that need lesson plans that are of equal quality, right? So that's a scaling up question that then needs to be addressed. A second aspect had been about which language to intervene in. We've worked in both English and in home language. So that I think we wouldn't change. Um, we've tried both the languages that are involved in reading in South Africa. Um, and I think, again, there we are ready for scale. The component that has been the one that had the most questions and pushback and probably the highest costs is the coaching aspect. And I think for us initially bringing out external people, these coaches are external, not in the system, had been something I think we were willing to innovate on because working in the system wasn't providing the results, right? And having the control group schools has also afforded us to test that empirically, rather than just theoretically, does having someone external help or not? And so we've tried the in-person coaching. We built on that. Considering cost and scale, we tried virtual coaching. Unfortunately, spoiler, it didn't work. Um, it's not that technology was a barrier because it was tablets and phone calls. But we found that the biggest thing that actually makes coaching work is the personal and professional accountability and the relationship that takes much longer to build on the phone compared to in person. So we haven't given up on virtual coaching, but there's something there that still needs to be tested and developed. And currently our current study is trying to see if you could use someone in the system. So a head of department as a coach, but the jury's out, we're still researching. We will see how that goes. And maybe to summarize what we hope to do, 
it's we hope to develop interventions that have been well thought out, based on theory, affordable in terms of basic costs. And we hope to have different options for provinces or the country to take up if these things work. So we wouldn't say it's in-person coaching for everyone. And definitely, if all of these models worked, we would have said, depending on your budget and how long you want to do this, you could have an in-person coach or a virtual coach or an HOD. But to date, only on-site in-person coaching has worked. So that's still the the version that we are able to scale up or to recommend for scaling up. I also think with the scale question, we can learn from the DBE color printed workbook initiative. The workbooks were quite a game changer in the system as from about 2010, you might remember better. I think about 2010, since then we've, ro- we've rolled out workbooks where it's in every province, every child gets uh, at least two or three workbooks, certainly in literacy and numeracy, And this has changed classroom practice. It has become something that is institutionalized. And it's one of the things I think that, and not only me, but the DBE has has written about this, that we think this is one of the things that contributes to the improvements in South African performance that we have seen. So we have improved. Um, That is clear. And, And I think that was one of the interventions that was important. And I think what was important about it was that it was sustained over a period of time. It was system wide. There was clear political support. Um, but also it was aligned to other reforms at the time. It was, re- it was aligned to curriculum reforms with the caps coming in. It was aligned to the annual national assessments, which put a focus on learning outcomes as an important outcome of learning at the time. And I think if we take the lessons from that, something like the EGRS has shown us what can work. It's shown us the pedagogical principles and the kinds of scaffolding and, and materials that are needed and what needs to happen is we need to implement a, a, this type of program where there is a clear learning program, there's a minimum package of learning support materials to teach reading in, and there is some degree of professional support. As Mpumi said, it can't be coaching in every school at the same time, but if the system as a whole becomes clear about what the learning program is, about what the materials are that need to be used towards that learning program, and whatever professional support is available is also focused on that. And then we also get kind of more accountability for learning in the system where the nation gets focused around this goal that 10-year-old children learn to read with meaning. If that starts to affect the way teachers think, the way parents and society think, I think then we could start to see an intervention like this have nationwide impact. Uh, so so that's, that's also, I think, an important part of scaling. The interventions we've done, as you say, they're on a small scale. We weren't attempting to implement on a large scale. We, we were doing research to inform scale. We weren't the scalers ourselves. Um, and I think it's important to understand that all the different interventions that are going on, not only by us in the sector, even if one is working in a few thousand schools, it's not yet having the kind of systemic impact that a nationwide intervention sustained over time can have. Uh, so we've provided some evidence of what what can work, but I think what we need to have now is is a, a, an aligned reform that is sustained and coordinated over a period of time, um, and and that's not necessarily coaching in every school, but but everything is aligned towards the same outcomes. I was very interested that you raised the question of the workbooks that were put into the hands of every learner. Now, one of the pieces of learning to read is like learning to play soccer, you have to have a ball. Learning to read, you have to have books. You need a print-rich environment, is what the literature says. 
What resources did you bring to the classrooms? How did that compare with the resources that exist generally in South African classrooms? So we brought firstly lesson plans that take the curriculum and translate it into daily practices. But along with what the curriculum says you should do, we gave teachers the books and resources to do those activities. So for example, we had big books that are books that a teacher reads with their learner. They are a bit more advanced than what a child can learn and the intention is to stimulate reading, right? So it's an interesting story. You stimulate the desire to be able to read on your own um, because you hear this interesting information and you learn that it's in books. So we gave big books. We then also gave um, decodable graded readers that were developed in African languages. So what happens in some contexts and historically has been books get written in English and then translated into African languages. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. What is problematic, though, is if you are learning to read for the first time, what is a simple sentence in English can become a very difficult sentence in African languages. Longer words, for example, in Nguni languages where a sentence is a word. And so that translation process obviously then becomes problematic. So we gave them uh, graded readers that were developed in home language originally and were decodable. So the lesson plan tells you that you're learning a specific sound. The graded reader that you then use that week aligns to that sound. So your learning is reinforced from what the teacher does to what a learner has in their hands. We then also gave um, flashcards um, that children learn a sight words with. So words that are not necessarily decodable, but you learn that it looks like this and the sound of that letter is, that word is this. We gave alphabet freezes um, and we gave posters to stimulate discussion. Um, and I think that's the base package. Uh, we've given it in um, hard copy, but in one of the interventions, the lesson plans were on a tablet with recordings, which was the nice thing of the technology piece, with recordings of what those sounds should be um, included as part of additional resources that the teacher had in their hands. I have a follow-up question, and that is in South Africa, we've got 11 official languages mm -hmm. and sign language. The phoneme-grapheme correspondence is very different across the different written forms of languages, even though at the sense of the auditory there, some of them may have similarities. What does that mean for producing reading books at cost? It means that we need to be developing our reading materials by language group. Thankfully, even though they're 11 plus sign language, the 11 can be subcategorized. So English is on its own, Afrikaans is on its own. Then you have what we call Nguni languages that include Isizulu, Istkosa, Iswati, and Isindebele. And then you have Sutu Tswana languages, which are Sutu, Sipedi, and Setswana. And then you have Chitsonga, which is also alone, and Chivenda, which is also alone. But it does mean there is some work within the language families that can be done together. You can use the same base structure and then adapt it specifically still to be in line with Isizulu or Isiswati or Isindebele. Very good. Carol, I was so fascinated when you said, well, you said that we have to like lead the country in asserting the need to, to learn to read. And, and Stephen, I think, spoke about what might have been you, saying we need targeted approaches, segmented approaches. Do we have enough information 
about what's happening in different schools and different provinces that would enable us to select which schools should become the recipients of an intervention like this. How would you do it at a system level? Anybody could answer that, but I'm interested in what you would say. Okay, thank you. I'm not sure about necessarily leading the country, leading the country in terms of the evidence of what works. Absolutely. I think that in deciding uh, which schools where, what type of scale-up would be a, would, would be up to the people who run the provincial departments of education. And what information do they have about performance in schools? For example, we used to have the annual national assessments. I mean, the point that was made earlier about accountability, particularly in the early grades, is an important one. And I think we need to reflect on that. We need to reflect on the fact that at primary school level, we don't have a, an assessment at the moment. We used to, but we don't have an assessment that tells us how different primary schools of different endowments are doing in a standardized fashion. So that's the first thing. It's extremely important for government and for the uh, education departments to have that sort of measurement because measuring learning will help you target and understand how to remediate weaknesses when you see them. So I think that's, that, that is, is critical. I think that uh, provincial departments have different ways of measuring uh, learning in different uh, schools, but they're not standardized and therefore we don't have across the country a good picture of what the situation with learning and literacy and numeracy are in the early grades of primary schooling. It's an important question, I think, because how many schools in South Africa? 23,000? 26,000. 26,000. And of those, about two-thirds would be primary. And we could not afford this, surely, without diminishing resource base for all schools. So the question is, how would you advise a provincial department about allocating resources towards a target group? Equity is extremely important. And equity means targeting to those most in need, not equality, but equity. And it would be up to a province. I mean, we've been working in Quintal 1 to 3 schools, which is basically the, the poorest 60% of the schools uh, in the country. Um, a sample of those provinces would have to make those decisions about the schools which most need the, the, the intervention, most need their learners reading, most need the learning outcomes that come from better reading ability in the early grades. I'll add to that and, and say maybe if we think about uh, intervention or what we're recommending for scaling um, and implementing it at different levels, so with different levels of targeting. The first is we agree that we think a structured learning program with lesson plans and integrated materials is essential. And for that, our recommendation would be that that should be done nationally. Um, it's not that there would be the one set of lesson plans that every single school should be using, 
but similar to what we've done successfully in grade four onwards in terms of textbooks, we have reviewed and catalogued what we think aligns to the curriculum. The catalog currently says to you, if you're a teacher or a school, here are the four maths textbooks that we endorse and we think you should be using. And similarly, we could do that for the foundation phase. We could come up with, here is the comprehensive, reviewed and endorsed set of four different kinds of lesson plans or five or six. We can come up with the number per language that we're endorsing. And, and that's can be implemented in every primary school that opts in. Like Carol has said, if you're Quintal 5 or 4 school and you have your own program that's working and you're producing the results, I don't think the intention is to force you to now adopt these lesson plans. But with public money that's going to Quintal 1 to 3 schools, I think we have a strong hand in saying there's evidence and here's a structured learning program that can work in most schools and request provinces to take that up. There is a budget for LTSMs. And so this is not new money. This is reallocating what should already be going to grade one, two, and three in terms of textbooks, classroom materials, et cetera, to a targeted thing. So that's one component. Then when we think about teacher training, there's the aspect of we know that the teacher training we do currently is not effective. So again, looking at what actually worked in this teacher training, how long were they being trained for, what were the methodologies, et cetera, and adopting that at scale, recommending all NGOs take this up, they can iterate how they want to, but we have a, ba a minimum of what teacher training should look like for reading specifically. And then finally, the coaching component, which is the new money part. That's where I think provinces would need to raise funds or so national treasury would need to allocate funds. But there's a way in which if we think about all our learning outcomes and 80% of children not reading for meaning in grade four, it means a lot of the schools need the support. So it's not as though we would struggle with identifying and finding which schools need coaching. What we could do, though, is coaching on rotation. So it could be out of all schools in a province, for example, Gauteng, let's say, has the highest number of primary schools. They get an additional allocation and they need to add coach 20% of their schools, for example, for a two-year period on rotation. So at the end of that two-year period, they can decide it was these schools that were eligible. Now we are choosing a different set of schools or we've had enough coaching. But that I think is the new money firstly and the provincial responsibility and selection that Carol was speaking about. But I think that would be something we can advise them on. So that's how we would think about scaling and provinces taking this up. I'm interested that you use the phrase new money that there's existing resources that you would argue should be used differently, more efficiently based on your learning. But there would be new money required, particularly in terms of support. So I'm going to play a game with you, and I hope I'm not being unfair to you. <laughs> You've just stepped into a lift. The president is in the lift, but all on his own. You're going to the top floor of a 20-story building. You've got two to three minutes. You want to make an argument to the president that you need new money for this. It's called the elevator speech mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. game. What are you going to... I'll be the president. Speak to me. <laughs> do you, do you Who's going to go first? Okay, I can start. I'll say we, we've done a finance review uh, and, a, and developed a costing tool. And obviously there are various scenarios one can play with in terms of the numbers of schools that, that would be involved. But one, one scenario that, that we suggested that Im impacts at a relatively good degree of scale 
would cost a little over 2 billion rand over a five-year period. Of course, uh, that is a lot of money compared to what we currently spend on reading initiatives, but it's not that much money compared to what we spend on some other uh, programs in the sector, such as school feeding, something which we clearly regard as very important. Um, the Presidential Youth Employment Initiative recently got about, I think they spent about 13 billion rand just in education um, over a six over over less than a year. So, so it is ultimately a matter of prioritization. But what I would say is that early grade reading is a key developmental priority for the country. That that getting early learning right is strategic for getting later learning outcomes right. Learning outcomes, educational outcomes are key for overall social and economic inequality. So if we can get early learning right, this is a, a key developmental challenge that we will address. Lastly, I would add that improving the, the teaching of reading and literacy in the early grades might to some degree pay for itself through reducing grade repetition. Grade repetition is costly to the country already, and if we can reduce that through better learning outcomes early on, in some ways it offsets what you spend on it. So the president's going to walk away from this conversation understanding you're increasing efficiencies, reducing inequality. It's affordable, it's proven. Here's your two minutes with the president. Improving the most important precondition is to ensure that we keep monitoring to make sure it's, in, it's effective. Not just providing resources for a new program, but we keep monitoring to ensure its effectiveness against the business as usual, in addition to providing resources. I think that's what would distinguish this from a lot of other uh, uh, interventions. So you'll be reassuring the president that will be able to be accountable to him. And to the people of South Africa. I would say to the president, hi, Mr. President, <laughs> what's up? Um, I would say, <laughs> I would say to the president, we have put together and learned about research that is effective for early grade reading um, that has been government led. So something he should note and, and be encouraged by. Um, that's been proven um, because not all good ideas can actually be proven and not all good ideas actually result in the learning outcomes you thought they would. We have the evidence, we've proven it and it has been costed. So we are not um, in doubt about how much it would cost. It's not a, an expenditure that we would halfway through realize we can't afford. We have the money, we have the the numbers that can help you budget. And as Carol and Stephen have said, can be measured and has been impactful. So in the long term, if you want to reduce the youth unemployment, even if it's in a new cycle, et cetera, in the next 10, 15 years, if you want to see real difference in this country, you need to intervene in the foundation phase. It can't be at the end of schooling or after schooling. Your biggest weapon here is education and it's early and early and early. So you're saying we know what to do to invest in the future. I have to thank each one of you. I learned a lot from this conversation and congratulations on your excellent work. And I hope you do meet the president in a lift. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. The Early Grade Reading Research Study Podcast is supported by 
the department of basic education the department of planning monitoring and evaluation the bumalanga department of education and the northwest department of education in association with the anglo american 3ie unicef usaid wits university and the zenex foundation for more information on the early grade reading study or the department of basic education visit the department's website you can also check the actual reading conference on the department's youtube channel thank you for listening Thank you.